Hey folks, welcome back to the Jim Brockmeyer Podcast. I'm your host, former Major League Baseball announcer, and the only man who has seen Roger Goodell's bare ass more than Roger Goodell's stupid armchair. That's a long story for another time. I am Jim Brockmeyer. I'm joined, as always, by my delightful co-host and fearless producer, Sheena Dodd. Sheena, how's it going? It's going good, Brockmeyer. How about you? Well, to be honest with you, I'm simply happy to be here after Kyle Shanahan predicted that we all might not be alive on Sunday. Did you see that? I I didn't see it. Shanahan was asked about Jimmy Garoppolo's future with the 49ers, and he basically threatened to kill everybody. I mean, I spent the whole week in mortal terror. I I was totally creeped out by that. Do you think I'm overreacting to this? Well, here, let me play a little game with you. Okay, we're supposed to have lunch tomorrow. Ask me if we're on for lunch tomorrow. Hey, Jim, are we on for lunch tomorrow? I don't know, Sheena. You think you'll still be breathing tomorrow? Because I have my doubts. I mean, how would you take that? Okay, I see your point. Exactly. (laughs) Did you watch the NFL draft, at least? Of course I did. Okay. Pretty deft maneuvering by by terrifying Shanahan and the 49ers, though. I mean, he confused everybody. Spent the last few weeks acting very shady, pushing false information, keeping secrets, telling everybody that they were going to die. He sounds like a serial killer. Right? I mean, it was diabolical. I mean, imagine how hard it would be to select a person for your team right after Ted Bundy went. If you know Charles Manson is picking next, you're going to be rattled, you know. And speaking of being uh, disturbed, how do you feel about the draft as a Bears fan? Are you ready now to accept Justin Fields into your life as your personal savior? Uh, I am more than ready. Apologies to QB1 Andy Dalton, but I am delighted. He's still QB1. Don't kid yourself now. He's going to be a mentor to Fields. And you want a mentor like Andy Dalton, a guy who can teach Justin Fields the skills he needs to have a long career while accomplishing absolutely nothing. Kind of like an Obi-Wan Kenobi of disappointment. I still have my hopes up for the future. Well, of course you do. Everybody feels good after the draft, unless you're the Raiders, of course. But even Raider fans, they've just taken the drug of optimism. And what a sweet drug that is. You get very, very high, thinking about the holes on your team that just got filled. Everything is just going to work out and be fine. It's only in retrospect that you experience the brutal hangover of the Trubiskys and the Manzels and the Tebows. My advice to you, Sheena, and to all Bears fans is stay close to the people you love and stay hydrated. Drink a lot of water. I mean, that's great advice when using any drug. Exactly right, because if you can't have a quality starting quarterback, at least you can have clear skin and, uh, well, if not no headache, a minimal headache. Anyway, my guest today writes for The Atlantic. She's a fellow member of Dan Lebitard's Meadowlark Media, and she's the host of the Jamel Hill is Unbothered podcast on Spotify. Not surprisingly, it's Jamel Hill. Welcome, Jamel. Uh, thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's truly my honor to have you here. Because you, you are the person to talk to about the intersection of sports, race, and politics. Whereas I am usually the person to talk to about the intersection of rye whiskey and horse tranquilizers. So this is a tremendous step up for me. And by the way, those don't intersect very well. It's mostly uh, hallucinating that you're getting yelled at by ghosts while you pee blood. So it's a lovely change of pace to have you here with me. Appreciate that. I mean, that definitely sounds like some interesting combinations, but, you know, we all have our journey in life. Interesting combinations might be the title of my memoir, so thank you for that. Um, I am a little surprised you agreed to do the show, because being associated with me, is it's probably going to damage your reputation. I'm just going to say it's a very bad career move for you, because you have credibility for doing the right thing, and I don't. Probably should have warned you, full disclosure here, I've got a long broadcasting career. I've had one, and I've, I've called many problematic sports. Uh, cockfighting, uh, competitive fracking, 
And most embarrassingly, I announced an event at Mar-a-Lago. It was called uh, Cornhole for War Criminals. So, you know, all I'm saying is before this gets released, feel free to distance yourself from me. Well, I operate from a judgment-free zone. So despite all these atrocities that you just named, um, I think I feel comfortable in, in, in my element because the people who hate me are always going to hate me. And the people that like me, hopefully they rock with me regardless of the fact that I have now clearly flushed my career down the toilet by talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Boy, you sounded a lot like my ex-wife, I really, because she was the last person to, to use the word atrocities in association with me. So thank you for taking me down memory lane there. But listen, I won't take it personally if you release a statement condemning my actions. All my closest friends have done that. Sheena does it. Uh, uh, she's done it a lot. Yeah, sure uh, have. Yeah, Sheena, what, look, for example, Sheena, we, we, we keep all these on file. Read for Jamel a couple of times, a couple of statements you've made about me publicly. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, here's one. I, Sheena Dot, condemn the actions of my co-host Jim Brockmeyer and ask that all Americans learn the dangers associated with drinking alcohol while operating a T-shirt cannon. Yeah, that was a tragic... Uh, yeah, that was... Yeah, that, that guy got pretty badly hurt. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you wouldn't imagine T-shirts could wedge certain places on people, but they absolutely can, and you can get sued for it. You ever seen anything like that at an event, like a, a T-shirt cannon uh, malfunction that ended badly? No, I have not, but I, you just basically convinced me that that's just one, that's a fun fact I'm going to absorb. It's like, don't drink and operate the T-shirt cannon. Despite the fact I would think that would be pretty obvious, nevertheless, I'm going to take that lesson with me. So thank you. Kids, please don't drink and fire clothing. Uh, what else, Sheena? What else you condemn me for over the years? Uh, there's a, okay, here's one. I, Sheena Dot, like many of my fellow sports fans, witnessed my co-host Jim Brockmeyer's inexcusable nudity at the NFC Championship. Yeah. I do not support or condone this. Those large clear barriers are meant to protect people from the spread of COVID-19, and no one, regardless of age or gender, should have to see a man's genitals pressed up against them. Yeah, that's, that's true. That just recently happened, too. You'd think I would have learned over the years, but I haven't. Jamel, you didn't hear about that or anything, did you? I did not. So I'm just uh, really absorbing and processing this for the, the first time. So hopefully nothing was permanently damaged other than maybe your ego and reputation, which you didn't have much to begin with. So it didn't matter, I guess. But hopefully there was nothing else that was permanently damaged. You mean on me? Yeah. There was a lot of psychological damage done to, to a lot of people. But no, me my, included. My, yeah, let's, me but, included. Let, let's just, we're talking around it. My junk's fine. And uh, okay. there was no, uh, no problem there uh, in the long run. There's at least one more, Sheena. What about the one with uh, my favorite one, with, with the with the yeah. baby with the baby changing table? What yeah, was that? that was yeah. The I Sheena Dot would like for the management of the La Habra California TGI Fridays to know that I disagree with the actions of my co-host Jim Brockmeyer. I was not present when Mr. Brockmeyer snorted cocaine off of the baby changing table in the women's restroom, and therefore I do not believe the lifetime ban should apply to me as well. Yeah. Sorry about it. Again, I, I, I've already apologized to you. Yeah, Shana, it's, just, it's just words. It's just a words, Brockmeyer. Well, I know. It's, I got to back it up with actions. But, uh, and I know how much you love TGI Fridays and you love eating there. And the idea that I might have ruined that for you is upsetting to you, I understand. You know poop are on those changing tables, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's kind of the purpose of them. Yeah. Mm, okay. When I get going, though, Jamel, I, there's nothing, nothing can stop me. Not baby poop, not animal scat, nothing. I just, uh, <laughs> I got rocket fuel in my veins. You know what I mean? 
determination. Love it. Well, listen, it's what got me where I am in the broadcasting world, but it also gets me in trouble at uh, TGI Fridays. I'm actually putting together a scrapbook. Did you know this, Sheena, of all those uh, denouncings of me, those public denouncings? It's going to be a big uh, scrapbook. It is a very large one. Each one has a unique personal touch that I treasure. Carl Ravitch's was just a drawing. It was my face and then a photorealistic thumbs down. It was kind of beautiful. It was kind of artwork. I have it hanging up in my office. So, Jamel, again, feel free if you feel you need to distance yourself in any way. Sheena can actually probably help you compose it if, if you need. Yeah, you I'm good like. at them now. Yeah, I'll, I'll be contacting you as soon as this is over. Great. Now, I got to know, what's it like being someone whose opinion is so respected? And why, oh, why would you tarnish that reputation by working with Dan Levitard? I'm stuck with Dan because my life is not going well. So when Dan called me about doing this podcast, frankly, I thought it was a pyramid scheme. He gets me to start a podcast, and I get three people to start another podcast, so on, so on, and eventually the FBI kicks down Stugatz's door, but we've all made 12000 bucks. But what, what made you choose to, to go with Dan? Well, um, believe it or not, I've actually always had a lot of respect for Dan. I don't believe it. We go ahead. Okay. But believe it, I mean it, is that I've always had a lot of respect for Dan. Uh, he's an incredible voice in sports media. I've been reading him for a long time since he was at the Miami Herald. I thought he was one of the most brilliant writers in the country. And I've always respected his work and just the way he's approached it. Like he always seems to me to be somebody who uh, puts his integrity first or brings his integrity along with him. And that's hard to do, especially as you get famous and you make more money. I mean, I know you don't know anything about making money or being really that famous, but... Or integrity. Or integrity, for that matter. But it is hard to have all three, integrity, money, and fame, and not be changed as a person. So I always admired that about Dan. First of all, my nose is bleeding from the shot you just took me. So let me just grab a tissue here, stab at that. All right, I'm okay. All kidding aside, though, despite my how hurt my feelings are, you and Dan Levitard are pretty wonderful. You're both former ESPN employees, you parted ways with that company because you, well, how do I put this? You didn't necessarily fit with the way ESPN wanted to do things. Back when you were hosting SportsCenter, Jamel, you famously tweeted that, that Donald Trump was a white supremacist, which I, I, I want to take the opportunity to applaud you for that personally and professionally and publicly right now. Because, you know, I've pissed off every single employer I've ever had, but uh, I have never, ever simultaneously pissed off a head of state. So when you sent that tweet... Were you surprised at the reaction that got? Uh, I was very surprised, mostly because I thought it was kind of obvious. So I thought it was the equivalent of saying water is wet or that Cheez-Its are delicious. I thought it was very <laughs> easily seen that Donald Trump was a white supremacist or is, excuse me, because it's not past tense. And a lot of the country reacted. Um, it, a lot of people thought what I said was true and accurate, but there was obviously a massive contingent that did not think what I said was true. And for that matter, when you're associated with ESPN and SportsCenter being such uh, a big brand and the baby of ESPN's company, and then you got the Disney Association, the parent company thrown in there, it was just the perfect cocktail for the explosion that it became. So when I tweeted it, because I thought I was tweeting from a position of fact, <laughs> that I'd never expected anybody to react. Well, and also, let's not lose one of the most important things you said there, which is uh, Cheez-Its are delicious. Boy, are they. But I get your other point. Look, I'll say things that I think are obvious, and I've ended up in a lot of trouble for them. One time, during a game, they showed Donald Rumsfeld on the screen, okay? And I described him as Country Club Dracula. And then the next thing I know, I'm on the FBI's no-fly list. 
So I got to hand it to Rumsfeld. That was a pretty good prank on me because I could not fly anywhere. And ironically, Rumsfeld can just turn into a bat and fly anywhere he wants. So, you know, kudos to him. But, you know, I've had organizations demand that I be fired for sure. But only like rotary clubs and, and children's hospitals, you know, small potatoes. What is it like having the White House demand that you be removed from your job? Well, uh, in a weird way, it's kind of a badge of honor. You, when I got into journalism, one of the mantras or the ethos of the profession is that you're supposed to piss off City Hall. Now, City Hall and the White House are not quite the same thing, but they're both symbolic of one another, is that we got into this business to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So with that being said, um, it, it's kind of like if you're a journalist and you don't run into a little bit of trouble, it's like, are you a journalist really, you know? And so I consider this, to borrow a phrase from the great civil rights icon, John Lewis, to be good trouble. While it wasn't the most comfortable position to be in, um, you know, my mother was very upset about this. In fact, she was so upset, she called the White House. I don't know who she expected to speak to, but nevertheless, <laughs> she did call uh, because she was upset about the fact that they had asked that her baby be fired. And so it, it brought a lot of disruption to my life. Wait a minute. Your mom phoned up the White House? She did because uh, she has a particular dislike for Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was the press secretary <laughs> at the time. Oh, come on. What's not to like there? Come on. I heart Huckabee. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot not to like her general disposition as a person, her entire value system. Yes, there's a lot not to like. Yeah. So wait, did she get through? Did She didn't talk to the president, did she? What happened there when she phoned up? She did not get through. Um, I don't know who exactly answered. Um, I don't know if they're just like, hey, or if they're like, good morning, White House speaking. I'm not sure exactly how it goes. I've never called the White House. But she was demanding to talk to Sarah Huckabee Sanders since she was the one who said that what I said about Donald Trump was a fireable offense. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. So she just wanted an explanation from uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders about why she would say that before the nation. And um, I know she didn't get through. Did she leave a message or did she talk to somebody? I think she talked to a person, but I I'm just guessing the person probably didn't connect her. Just guessing. I mean, you know, <laughs> but they, that whoever that person is must deal with um, a lot of moms. I mean, Greta, Greta Thunberg's mom, you know, Mitt Romney's mom. Jeff Sessions' mom probably all called up real upset with the former guy and with his minion there, uh, Ms. Huckabee. You know, I can't believe that for all the times I was upset with what the former guy was doing. I never thought to just call him up. I mean, how brilliant. Why shouldn't I treat the president the same way I would treat bad customer service at the Cheesecake Factory? Were you at all concerned that the CIA or somebody was going to fund a military coup and, and take over your broadcast or whatever? Because I'll tell you something. That Scott Van Pelt strikes me as a CIA asset. Okay, he looks, he looks too much like a robot. I bet there's a room at the Pentagon filled with like 20 Scott Van Pelts, like Max Headroom, all just like plugged into gambling machines, like, like the Matrix or something. Mm, I hadn't thought of Scott Van Pelt as a potential snitch, but now that... Forget snitch, as a, a non-human. Are you sure he's not AI, Scott Van Pelt? Well, I can't confirm that he's not. Exactly. I play cards with Scott Van Pelt, so I like to think that was not robotic training. That's just... My read on did it. Did Scott win? He did. I was quite embarrassed because uh, we played spades. And I don't know if you know this. And 
given that you strike me as somebody who's very in tune with the black community, you probably know this, but I'm just going to say this mostly for your listeners, but there's a game called Spades that is very popular in the black community. And essentially, you can shame your entire household if you do not know how to play this game and play it well. Take no prisoners. It's very competitive. Scott knows how to play Spades. He and I and my former co-host, Michael Smith, and also current ESPN analyst, Ryan Clark, we all play spades. I didn't know any white people who actually played spades because it's that much of a black cultural game. Nevertheless, Scott Van Pelt and Ryan Clark whooped our ass at spades. Wow. I've been carrying a level of trauma about that ever since. Actually, now that I think about it, that's probably how he beat me. He wasn't even real. He was a robot. Exactly. Because if you have artificial intelligence, you probably can figure that shit out. He probably, right before you played, had the Spades program downloaded right into his uh, artificial brain. Mm. I think it underlines my theory here. I think I just proved it right. Because no, there's no other possible way that a white man could beat you at Spades, let's face it. No way. He has, of course. It's the history of white supremacy. He's got to have a leg up. He was artificial. I get it now. <laughs> yeah, he, he figured out a way to rig the system. Yeah, mm-hmm. much in keeping with the history of this country. Now, here's the thing I'm wondering. When all this Twitter stuff was going down, ESPN said that you violated their social media guidelines. Now, is that an actual document? The social media guidelines of ESPN? It is a document. Um, it's something that was sent to us um, that I had read, like many other people there. They were actually in the process of making some changes to the policy when my situation occurred. And, you know, as soon after this situation happened, uh, they adjusted <laughs> the policy. To use a polite word. <laughs> They adjusted Mm -hmm. a lot of things. They adjusted your employment status. They adjusted all kinds of things. Is there anything I would find surprising in that document? Like no, what do they call those things? No hunger games, no no thirsty tricks. What do they call those things? Thirst traps. Thirst trap. Like no thirst traps from Kenny Mayne. Is that part of the the document of the social media from ESPN? Uh, Not that I'm aware, but having known Kenny Mayne for years, I would say he'd probably make a pretty appetizing thirst trap. Yeah, I disagree wholeheartedly mm. i think they need to loosen up those guidelines a bit though if, because and add more logical rules like let's all make sure that dan orlovsky never gets on tiktok can we all get behind that that sounds like a winner that's gonna be my <laughs> new cause yeah okay so now given your experience with disney slash espn can you even watch disney movies anymore or do you just get pissed off like if the lion king comes on when Simba goes back to fight Scar, are you just thinking to yourself, ah, there's no way Disney would support this. They'd be too worried about alienating Scar supporters to let this air. Like, can, can you watch this stuff anymore? I can because Disney owns a pretty big property of which I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I'm a lifelong comic book nerd. And so they own Marvel. And so if I want to watch Marvel movies, I have to kind of go through Disney. In fact, I just finished Falcon and Winter Soldier, that series. So no, I don't I don't hold any hatred in my heart uh, toward Disney. I want them to continue to produce Marvel products because I love them so much. So, and they also got Beyonce. I can't hate Disney, they got Beyonce. They got everything. Even if you don't work for them anymore, you still work for them, you just don't quite realize it. I think in real life, Simba would, would get forced out like you and probably get his own TV show on Vice, which might actually work out pretty well. I'd watch that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're on to better things now, like your podcast. Uh, Jamel Hill is unbothered. I'm glad you're here uh, with me today because podcasts, the internet, social media, I do not really understand all that. I don't even, I'm not even quite sure how I get internet to my house, to be honest with you. I, I assume I'm still working off the free 45 hours of AOL I got in the mail in 1998. But you, on the other hand, I mean, social media is such a big part of your career. And given, you know, that I'm trying to become a modern sports personality like yourself, do you think I, I need to get on Twitter? Okay. Well, this feels like for you a recipe for disaster. Yeah. But you seem to kind of like those. So <laughs> if you're... um in the mood for more disastrous events in your life, then Twitter is perfect because it is the perfect place for emotionally unhinged people to come and tell the world their feelings. So you kind of fit right in. That's true. Because I do tend to drink a fair amount. By fair amount, I mean to the point of total mental oblivion. And I'm quite afraid of what I might put out there on Twitter on the permanent record. Does that, are you afraid of that at all? Are you afraid you might misstep one way or the other? Well, I think it's just a, a fear that you just sort of live with if you're on Twitter. Because I don't really fear anything that I say in the present. I fear as we evolve as a society, things that you could say freely and openly on Twitter in 2009 or 10 will look outdated as you go. Right. And then you'll find yourself apologizing for things in the present that you did in the past. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you can worry about that. Um, although I must say drunk tweeting is pretty fun. So I kind of encourage you to do that. Do you do that? Oh, I've drunk tweeted before. Drunk tweeted, drunk Instagram posts before. Like people just didn't know I was drunk. But yes, I have drunk tweeted before. Wow. Yeah. I see on the one hand, see Twitter feels like it's necessary. Like I just, I want to stay up to date on, on which NBA player is currently threatening Michael Rappaport and exactly how and what they're going to do. See, now when I get drunk, and talk shit about Skip Bayless, which I like to do. I don't have to worry that Skip's going to find out, you know, unless I happen to be drinking someplace that Skip Bayless would actually be, like the bushes outside LeBron James' house or something. But this all depends on one very important thing, though, is that do you think you could take Skip Bayless in a fight? That's a good question. I don't know. He's got that uh, sharp-edged, angry energy. I wouldn't want to do that uh, sober either. I guess maybe uh, that's the that's the... That's the beauty of drunken brawling, uh, Jamel, is uh, you, you kind of let loose the beast, if you will, within, and so that can help you win. And if you lose, you don't really feel the blows as much. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a certain science to it. It can be like a very deceptive performance-enhancing drug. I will say this about Skip. He works out every day. He's in amazingly good shape. He does not drink. I don't know that Skip's ever had an alcoholic drink in his life. If I were you, I'd tread carefully uh, should there ever be a physical confrontation. I appreciate the heads up. But, you know, I don't know, all this drink talk. I feel like maybe we should both be drinking right now. Because I, <laughs> I, I know I know you, I hear you, we, we have a mutual friend, actually, and I, oh. I, can, I can cut this out if you like, but I know you like to have a good time. I do. And, and do you remember the time uh, you went to, I'm going to say it, an all-male strip club, you're in Vegas, <laughs> You left behind your, as I heard this story, you left behind your personal ID by mistake and you left with the number of a man there. Do you remember that man's name, uh, Jamel? I do not remember his name. You don't? Um, uh-uh, I don't. I um, do, because he's my friend. Oh, yeah. Okay. His name, right. I, I'm surprised you could forget this name. His name was Black Thickness. <laughs> I am friends with Black Thickness. Did you, it doesn't ring a bell for you? 
Um, no, that does not ring a bell. Listen, Black <laughs> Thickness, I met him a while ago. When I met him, he was actually known as Skinny Steve. And I saw Skinny Steve at an all-male review I, I, that I drunkenly attended for a variety of reasons I won't get into. And, uh, you know, I was like, boy, I, I, I met him. I'm like, kid, you got the goods, but this look you got isn't working. He was just skin and bones. He was coughing a lot. And his shtick would, he'd like ask people to spank him, but he'd like, it would hurt his butt. Like he, he broke his tailbone one time. I said, look, you need to thicken up. And sure enough, a year or two later, Skinny Steve came back as black thickness. We've been pals ever since. So, um, so you know, no, you no recollection of black thickness. I, I do remember who that is, but I just don't. I didn't know that was his name because, yeah, I don't typically remember um, exotic dancers' names. Um, so, no, I don't. I do remember. I did. It is true. I did lose my uh, license in a strip club, and it made the trip home a lot of fun. And I mean that sarcastically. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't really know how I lost it. I just happened to leave it at the strip club and I tried to recover it at the strip club and that didn't work. Although I will say that is not my best. I lost my license while drunk story. That's that probably wouldn't even rate in the top 10. Would you care to share with us a, a lost your license story that that tops that? I feel like this tops it. I was covering the NCAA tournament. This was in Tampa Bay, Florida. And we went to a district, a little happening district called Ybor City. And people in Tampa are very familiar with this district because it's nothing but clubs and bars, restaurants. This is where all the people go to have a little fun. So me and some of my journalism, sports journalism colleagues, uh, we went there. Uh, blow off some stream, have a good time. The game the next day didn't start till 2 p.m. So we decided to go out and treat ourselves to a night of lushness, a, light of, <laughs> a night of alcohol. So uh, there were many shots consumed and all sorts of things. So by the time we left there, I was feeling no pain, as they like to say. Um, I believe I urinated on the side of a cab. That would be one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that wow. happened. I have to point out, when there are times that I've actually never done something because it's so rare, I've never urinated on the side of a cab. You haven't lived then. Almost countless Ubers, but never a cab. Never a cab. See, Uber wasn't a thing then. So maybe it would have been an Uber if it were modern day, but then it was a cab. I pee on Ubers even sober. I just don't like them. I just, I just to establish my dominance, I just pee on them. And, but I give a nice tip afterward. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm derailing your wonderful story. In terms of the physics, was it you were out the window? In, or you were sort of aiming towards it, standing next to it. I was standing next to it, aiming okay. towards it. That is, yeah. that is yeah. much harder than the first one. I cannot confirm or deny if my leg may have been cocked in the air. Okay, no got it. Wow, yeah. okay. So, wow, okay, yeah. So go back to the hotel, you know, like a self-respecting person. My goal was to pass out in my bed and just, you know, wake up the next day. <laughs> Might have left but self-respect at, behind at this point, but please go ahead. So uh, as I'm about to go to sleep, I just make sure I have everything. I was like, do I have my cell phone? Do I have my ID? Do I have credit cards? Right. I noticed I had no ID and no cell phone. And I'm like, where are they? And so at this point, it's probably like a good three o'clock in the morning. I'm, that's my guess. And so I was like, oh, shit, I left these items at the bar that we were at. I was like, ah. Oh. So I go downstairs. I get a cab to go back to the bar where we were, which was maybe just a couple miles away, maybe maybe 10 minutes. I don't even know if it was that much. You're following the trail of pee. I'm following the trail. It's not the same cab I pissed on. I just felt like I should make that clear. All right. <laughs> So we go back to the bar that I just left and I just tell the cabbie, 
uh, much like this is some kind of movie, just wait for me here. Right. That's what I tell. Right. So I go to the club, and of course it's closed, but I can see there are workers inside. And I try to knock on the door, nobody answers. I go to a side gate that they have, and I try to open it. It's a wrought iron gate. I'm not kidding that it, this gate has got to be a good eight or nine feet tall. Got to be, easily. Wow. And this is what I was telling you about how you know drunkenness can be a performance-enhancing drug. I decide I'm going to scale the wrought iron gate. Oh, boy. Right? Okay. To get inside the courtyard, to go into the bar, to get my ID and my cell phone. Of course. This plan makes complete sense to a drunk person. I don't know how, but I was Spider-Man on that bitch. I scaled this wall, right? The cab is watching me, and I'm thinking this cab, they're probably thinking, am I an accessory in a B&E right now? What's happening? Technically, you definitely are, but go ahead. So I hop into it. I'm in the courtyard. I come through the back door get into the bar and the bartender, some of the staff, they're just sitting around having a drink themselves. And they're like, what are you doing in there? And I said, I left my ID and my cell phone. Did you find an ID or a cell phone? And they're like, no, but I'm sure I sounded like, I'm pretty sure I sounded like that. Right. And so the security guard, was like, I'll let you check, but you have to leave. So the security guard lets me, I check in the ladies' bathroom, nothing's in there. And I was like, did anybody turn this in? They're like, no, get out of here. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm just screwed, right? So I leave out the bar and the security guard follows me and he's like, don't do that again, you know, whatever. And I was like, sorry, whatever. The cab, shockingly, still waiting for me after all of this. That's very kind of the guy. Yeah. yeah. So when the security guard slams the bar door, I don't know, something about that slam, it like reverberated. And then I threw up all outside the bar. So <laughs> I threw up all outside the bar. Yeah, it's the, the slam's fault. That's sl- you were fine. Then the slam happened. Yes, it yeah. was a slam. It just it set my stomach off. And uh, the security guard opens the door back up. And he was like, nice going, sweetheart. And slams it again. I was like, so then I'm being judged. Then I'm being judged. Did right? you puke again as soon as it slammed it the second time? No, I didn't. Because I got all of it out of my system. So... I get back in the cab, go back to my hotel room, and I'm just like, this is such a pain in the ass. I can't believe I lost my license. I lost my cell phone. So, uh, you know, I, I chain it to uh, some pajamas. I go to use the bathroom. My license is on the back of the toilet. Wow. I have no idea why it's on the back of the toilet, but it was there the whole time. I never even needed to scale a wall or throw up on a door. It was there. Now, did I ever find my cell phone? No, but that's not the point of this story. I don't know what the point of this story is, but I will tell you that... When drunk, I now know I can scale an eight-foot wall. There's a lot to take out of that story. I just love that that story included peeing on a cab and placing your ID on a toilet. There's something beautifully symmetrical about that. That was a heartwarming story, Jamel. That really was. That was a beautiful, beautiful story. You should turn that into a children's book. May I suggest that? Sure. I'd have to think of titles, I guess. Jamel's not out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a good one. Not to get morbidly obsessed with this too late, why did you pee on the cab? Like, how did that enter in everything? Why, why did you get sideways and, and maybe or maybe not lift your leg up and pee on the cab? Because I had to pee. Ah, stupid question. I wasn't seeking a cab to pee on. I was seeking a place to pee and the cab was in the way. <laughs> There's yeah. a difference. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Why'd you pee on me? Well, I had to pee and you were in the way. So, yeah, I've said that a few times. That's been my excuse a few times. Why did you stab me? Well, I was flailing with a knife and you got in front of me. That was my defense one time. I went to jail for that. Anyway, there are a couple of sports stories I want to chat about with you while you're here. Um, So, Sheena, tee us up. Just a couple items. What do we got first for Jamel? 
Okay, first up is the MLB All-Star Game. Oh, yeah. In response to Georgia's new laws aimed at voter suppression, Jamel wrote an article for The Atlantic with the headline, Move the All-Star Game Out of Georgia. And sure enough, a few days later, Major League Baseball announced they'd be moving the All-Star Game to Coors Field in Colorado. That's right. The Atlanta Braves released a statement saying that they're saddened and that, quote, Our city has always been known as a uniter in divided times. Unfortunately, businesses, employees, and fans in Georgia are the victims of this decision, end quote. Yeah, I got to say, personally, when I think of my top 10 places to unite people in divided times, I don't think any of them are in the American South. Definitely not a whole city down there. Maybe like a particular Waffle House after 1 a.m. when everybody there is appropriately hammered, which is certainly the, the theme of this podcast. But I think even that's a stretch. What was your response, Jamel, when you saw that statement from the Braves organization? I mean, did you think like I did that they had perhaps brought back John Rocker to do PR consulting? I mean, what was, what was your thought? That would make sense. But first, unpopular hot take. Waffle House is trash. Oh my goodness. Whoa. But not, not, the, not the home fries. Please don't say you're referring to the home fries. No, I'm not referring to the home fries. I'm referring to the fact that I don't get the Waffle House, you know, sort of addiction, if you will. And I've had it, what is it, scattered, smothered, whatever. What is it called? I think they refer to it as black thickness. <laughs> the problem uh, is that I care about cleanliness, so therefore that... <laughs> well, that's not, not a place for you then, no. I always feel wildly uncomfortable in there because I feel like nothing is ever really clean and I don't want to sound like a snob but I'd prefer the wait staff have at least half of their teeth. I mean, I don't know. And there's always fights at Waffle House. There's nothing good that happens at Waffle House after a certain time. Nothing. I've never seen anything good happen. But it sounds like drunk Jamel would love this place. I mean, you could just pee whatever you want, strike out at whoever you like, climb whatever you want to. You know, even drunk Jamel has standards. I and guess so. Yeah. No, I'm more of a Cracker Barrel to me is, you know, sort of the top tier in that category. Now, I know Cracker Barrel is not open at 2 a.m., but on a late night, I prefer a little Taco Bell, a little steak and shake. And now all the Waffle House hive is going to tweet me incessantly and call me a communist because I don't like Waffle House. Anyway, um, so I, I thought that statement uh, by the Braves is as tone deaf as possible. And it really was quite a slap in the face, I think, especially to Hank Aaron's legacy. I like to think that if Hank Aaron were still alive, and the decision was made by Major League Baseball, it feels like Hank Aaron would have been in support of their decision. Uh, this does not take away from Major League Baseball decision to honor Hank Aaron. You know, the people in the Atlanta organization, if they want to blame anybody, blame Brian Kemp because he's the governor of Georgia and he's the one who signed that voter suppression that they're calling an election security bill into action for weeks, if not longer, Brian Kemp and other lawmakers in Georgia said that the election was completely secure. And then suddenly they introduced even more restrictive legislation. So it's like, what changed? The only thing that changed is that they lost two Senate seats to Democrats and Donald Trump didn't win the presidency. And so this is not a bill about security. This is a bill about retaliation and response to the incredible voter turnout, particularly by black and brown people who decided that they wanted a different vision for their state and for their country. The only villain in this scenario is Brian Kemp and Georgia Republicans. That's it. And John Rocker. And John Rocker. Let's throw him in there, too. And Waffle House. And Waffle well. House. But, I mean, yeah, the, these things tend to have, like, there's, there's such an opposite, I don't know, it's like a bizarro world you enter where somehow that 
law is making elections more fair and 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 moving the All-Star game is dishonoring Hank Aaron who obviously would have supported it. I mean look, the MLB had to move that game. Of course I'm glad they did. It is weird to see baseball ahead of the curve on any social issues, however. I mean, I love the sport dearly, but it is a relic of the early 20th century. I mean, it is designed to entertain people who who need to kill time between, you know, working in a factory and getting polio. Mm. There's one more story I want to talk to you about. Wasn't there, Sheena? What's, what's the other story you wanted to get going here? Yeah, not so much a story as it just as the continuing train wreck that is Brett Favre. Ah, yes, Brett Favre. So... The Hall of Fame quarterback's recent comments defending convicted murderer, Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, came on the heels of an appearance on The Andrew Clavitt Show, where he said that kneeling for the national anthem has, quote, created more turmoil than good. He went on to say, I know when I turn on a game, I want to watch a game. I want to watch players play and teams win, lose, come from behind. I want to watch all the important parts of the game, not what's going on outside of the game. And I think the general fan feels the same way. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, I don't watch anymore, it's not about the game anymore, and I tend to agree, end quote. Yeah. Jamel, do you think that he can't tell you how many people have said that to him because that number's zero? I think that's possible. I just want to know why Brett Favre's opinion when it comes to racial issues or social justice issues even registers. Like, if we were having a reckoning on jorts, it would make sense to solicit Brett Favre's opinion. It doesn't make any sense to look at his opinion as if it holds any weight because he's Brett Favre. Like, he's not involved in any of these issues, to my knowledge. You know, if we're talking about embezzling money from people, Brett Favre knows about that. So let's ask him about that. Or dick pics. Right, exactly. The next time somebody's sexually harassed, let's go ask Brett Favre about his opinion because then it would hold weight. But when it comes to police brutality, racial injustice, Brett Favre's opinion matters none. And we have often and we continue to praise sports as being this place where it's utopian. There's a meritocracy. You have a blending of different cultures, races, socioeconomic backgrounds. And while that does happen in sports more often than not, there's also something to be said for the fact that Brett Favre has played with black players his whole life, whole life, grew up in Mississippi, been around plenty of black people, right? But there's a difference between being around black people and understanding the black experience and talking to black people beyond what is in your level of comfort. And so all this has told me that despite the fact that this has been his dynamic throughout his playing career. He knows black people. He does not have black friends. That's that's what that tells me. I just find it to be incredibly privileged that Brett Favre can say that when he turns on a game that he didn't want to think about the other issues happening in the country. And by the way, when people say that, it's so intellectually dishonest because it's not like when you turn on a game, does Jim Nance strike you as somebody who's going to be waxing poetic for five minutes about racial issues? Probably not, okay? They're just bothered by the idea that at very minimal points, black athletes would actually remind them that they're black people and not just their entertainment. Well, to say I agree is an understatement. I I have a lot of trouble believing that there's a large number of these people who stopped watching football because it's too political. I mean, I think there's just a few of them. They're extremely loud about it, however. It's like people who do Peloton. You hear a lot from them, but it's not that many of us. I don't even understand the logic of it, because let's break it down for a second. He's saying he wants to watch the game and not think about what's going on outside the game. So to solve that problem, he's going to turn off the game? Doesn't make a lot of sense. 
I mean, I watched football every weekend last season. It was the same game it's always been. He's acting like every time a pass was thrown in the air, the wide receivers were getting shoved out of bounds by Tanahasi Coates. But that would make a great call. Johnson makes the grab at the 15. Nifty spin move there, then is forced out of bounds at the 12 by Tanahasi Coates's soul. Coates is sold in his 12th year out of SJU, Social Justice University. And listen, if Tanahasi Coates did that, I would trust that there was something very, very problematic with the pass route, and he was probably right to do it. And Tanahasi isn't the bulkiest guy, so <laughs> it would be, be amazing to see. It'd be the weight of his of his intellect and his. Uh, I think his soul, his probably soul, could probably handle it. His soul would shove them right out. When you see Brett Favre make these comments, though, and publicly endorse Donald Trump, and then follow that up by complaining that players aren't sticking to sports. Do you think that those mental gymnastics are more impressive than his football career? Because I think that they are. To be able to to twist around your logic center and hypocrisy detectors in such a wonderful way, I mean, it's undeniable to me that Brett Favre deserves a place in the Shut the Fuck Up Hall of Fame. How do you feel about it? I feel like he's a first ballot entrant. (laughs) Yeah, right away. Yeah. But this is perfectly on brand for how we've seen black athletes and their concerns get characterized either by a mostly white media or by some of their white colleagues. It's the whole shut up and dribble mentality. Yeah. People want black faces, not black voices. Okay. You mentioned shut up and dribble and and off of what you just said, even further than that, a lot of conservative politicians, when they say the kind of thing Brett Favre said, not only about the NFL, but about the NBA, you know, the reason that ratings for sports are are down recently, they say, is because of player social justice activism. I mean, what goes to your mind when you hear that? I mean, other than, you know, Ted Cruz crying and wearing a diaper. That's what I picture uh, when, mm. when I hear stuff like that. Because Ted Cruz strikes me as a diaper man, if I may. Because I think public restrooms probably go against his libertarian ethics, you know. And what better symbol of man's ingenuity and self-reliance than the adult diaper? There is none, right? Ayn Rand, right? The hero in every one of her books shits their pants purely out of principle. I mean, none of them, although none of them have ever peed on a taxi cab, at least not to my knowledge, so... You know, you are in the great tradition of the great Ayn Rand, Jamel Hill. Well, that's uh, disturbing to to hear. But um, getting uh, back to your question, I think the people who point to the ratings are, again, parsing the information because ratings were also dramatically down in the Kentucky Derby. I don't think the horses knelt during the anthem, did they? <laughs> I don't think they did, right? A couple of them did, but... Uh... Oh. Well, I don't recall any of the horses having... Black Lives Matter on them. Pretty sure they did not, no. I mean, not to be too much of an old man, but I blame that Gen Z for the ratings drop because they care about sports less than any generation before, but I don't think it's because they have deeply held conservative white Protestant values. I think it's because they have the attention span of a caffeinated chihuahua. I mean, they've been getting pornography and Minecraft beamed into their eyeballs since birth, you know, an NFL game's three hours long. You want Gen Z to watch something that long, it needs to have at least four of the Avengers or three members of BTS. Now, we're coming to the end of the podcast. You've been very kind. We're going to wrap things up as we always do with a little game. We always play a little game to end things up with our guests. And uh, we cooked up a special one for you today. This game is called Major League Baseball Player or The Wire Supporting Character. Ooh, All right. Okay. So now you you hosted a podcast called Way Down in the Hole, Correct. where you recap uh, the classic HBO show The Wire. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, The Wire is a show with some of the greatest character names and nicknames in history. And baseball is a sport pretty famous for having some great athlete names and nicknames. 
So here's how this game is going to work. My co-host, the lovely Sheena, uh, is going to give you a name. I want you to tell us, is it a Major League Baseball player or is it a supporting character from The Wire? All right. So, uh, Sheena, kick us off here. Boof Bonser. Boof Bonser. Boof Bonser. Major League Baseball player. That is correct. Pitcher. Played for the Twins, Red Sox, and A's. He retired in the year 2015. All right. So you're one for one. Next, Sheena. Cheese Wagstaff. Oh, that is a wire character. Yeah, that was an easy one. Played by? Method Man. That's correct. All right. Next, Sheena. Razor Shines. Major League Baseball player. Very good. Played for the Expos back in the 80s. All right, Sheena, what's next? Peekaboo Veach. Major League Baseball player? Very good. Four for four. Now, he's from the 19th century. So uh, it's understandable if you haven't heard of him. And uh, not kidding, he actually fought in the Spanish-American War. Peekaboo Veach. Four for four. All right, what's next, Sheena? Stinkamartis. Wire character. They're very good. Thought we might have had you on that one. Five for five. All right, next up. Mordecai Three Finger Brown. Major League Baseball. Very good. He was a pitcher. He actually really did have three fingers. He actually really did. There was a famous mobster back in the 70s named Three Finger Brown as well, probably named after baseball players. Uh, all right, next, Sheena. Nathaniel Hungry Man Mans. Wire character. Should have known that somebody actually hosted a podcast about all this. It'd be <laughs> tough to sneak anything by. <laughs> Hungry Man Mans. I think he actually promoted uh, Swanson TV dinners for a while. Okay, and finally, Sheena, last one. Fat Face Rick. Oh, wire character. <laughs> that is correct. We would have accepted either, though, because that is also what I call Rick Sutcliffe. So either answer would have been acceptable. Jamel, you have been uh, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if my reputation and my credibility is going to, you know, if they're going to go down in flames, this was the way to do it. I agree. Listen, that's the horse I'm riding, you know. And again, (laughs) any public statements distancing from me, Sheena, she's happy to help you do some copy editing on that. Well, I feel like you will make a statement distancing yourself from me after I told you that whole peeing on the cab thing. But that's true. You kind of dragged me down in this whole thing. Yeah, I did. Brockmire, that's not possible. That's true. She's right. It was fun pretending for half a second there, though. In fact, in honor of you, Jamel, I'm going to go out tonight. I'm going to pee on a cab. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to yell at the top of my drunken legs. I was right. I'm going Jamel Hill on your ass. It's how I'd like to be known. Thank you. (laughs) All right. That's all for today's episode. We'll be back again in two weeks with another installment of the Jim Brockmeyer podcast. Sheena, I know there's something I'm supposed to say here. Always forget what it is. Follow, rate, review. Yes, those things. Big thanks to Mike Ryan, to Metalark Media, to Funnier Die, and to my lifetime of alcohol addiction for making this podcast possible. Big shout out to all my demons. Take care and see you next time, kids. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.